Chapter 3, Section 3, Part 1 of The Ego and His Own. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eris Allen. The Ego and His Own by Max Stirner. Chapter 3. Section 3, Part 1 As liberalism is completed in self-criticizing, critical liberalism, in which the critic remains a liberal and does not go beyond the principle of liberalism, man, this may distinctively be named after man and called the humane. The laborer is counted as the most material and egoistical man. He does nothing at all for humanity, does everything for himself, for his welfare. The commonalty, because it proclaimed the freedom of man only as to his birth, had to leave him in the claws of the unhuman man, the egoist, for the rest of life. Hence, under the regime of political liberalism, egoism has an immense field for free utilization. The laborer will utilize society for his egoistic ends as the commoner does the state. You have only an egoistic end after all, your welfare, is the humane liberal's reproach to the socialist. Take up a purely human interest, then I will be your companion. But to this, there belongs a consciousness stronger, more comprehensive than a laborer consciousness. The laborer makes nothing, therefore he has nothing. But he makes nothing because his labor is always a labor that remains individual, calculated strictly for his own want, a labor day by day. In opposition to this one might, e.g., consider the fact that Gutenberg's labor did not remain individual, but begot innumerable children and still lives today. It was calculated for the want of humanity and was an eternal, imperishable labor. The humane consciousness despises the commoner consciousness as well as the laborer consciousness, for the commoner is indignant only at vagabonds, at all who have no definite occupation, and their immorality. The laborer is disgusted by the idler, lazybones, and his immoral, because parasitic and unsocial principles. To this, the humane liberal retorts, the unsettledness of many is only your product, Philistine, but that you, proletarian, demand the grind of all and want to make drudgery general is a part still clinging to you of your pack-mule life up to this time. Certainly you want to lighten drudgery itself by all having to drudge equally hard, yet only for this reason, that all may gain leisure to an equal extent. But what are they to do with their leisure? What does your society do that this leisure may be passed humanly? 
It must leave the gained leisure to egoistic preference again, and the very gain that your society furthers falls to the egoist as the gain of the commonality. The masterlessness of man could not be filled with a human element by the state, and therefore was left to arbitrary choice. It is assuredly necessary that man be masterless, but therefore the egoist is not to become master over man again either, but man over the egoist. Man must assuredly find leisure, but if the egoist makes use of it, it will be lost for man. Therefore, you ought to have given leisure a human significance. But you laborers undertake even your labor from an egoistic impulse because you want to eat, drink, live. How should you be less egoist in leisure? You labor only because having your time to yourselves, idling, goes well after work done. And what you are to while away your leisure time with is left to chance. But if every door is to be bolted against egoism, it would be necessary to strive after completely disinterested action, total disinterestedness. This alone is human, because only man is disinterested, the egoist always interested. If we let disinterestedness pass unchallenged for a while, then we ask, do you mean not to take an interest in anything, not to be enthusiastic for anything, not for liberty, humanity, etc.? Oh, yes, but that is not an egoistic interest, not interestedness, but a human, i.e. a theoretical interest, to wit, an interest not for an individual or individuals, all, but for the idea, for man. And you do not notice that you too are enthusiastic only for your idea, your idea of liberty. And further, do you not notice that your disinterestedness is again, like religious disinterestedness, a heavenly interestedness? Certainly benefit to the individual leaves you cold, and abstractly you could cry, Fiat libertas periat mundus. You do not take thought for the coming day either, and take no serious care for the individual's wants anyhow, not for your own comfort, nor for that of the rest. But you make nothing of all this, because you are a dreamer. Do you suppose the humane liberal will be so liberal as to aver that everything possible to man is human? On the contrary, he does not indeed share the Philistine's moral prejudice against the strumpet, but that this woman turns her body into a money-getting machine makes her despicable to him as human being. His judgment is, the strumpet is not a human being, or, so far as a woman is a strumpet, so far as she unhuman, dehumanized. Further, the Jew, the Christian, the privileged person, the theologian, etc., is not a human being. 
so far as you are a Jew, etc., you are not a human being. Again, the imperious postulate, cast from you everything peculiar, criticize it away. Be not a Jew, not a Christian, but be a human being, nothing but a human being. Assert your humanity against every restrictive specification. Make yourself by means of it a human being and free from those limits. Make yourself a free man, i.e. recognize humanity as your all-determining essence. I say, you are indeed more than a Jew, more than a Christian, etc., but you are also more than a human being. Those are all ideas, but you are corporeal. Do you suppose, then, that you can ever become a human being as such? Do you suppose our posterity will find no prejudices and limits to clear away, for which our powers were not sufficient? Or... Do you perhaps think that, in your fortieth or fiftieth year, you have come so far that the following days have nothing more to dissipate in you, and that you are a human being? The men of the future will yet fight their way to many a liberty that we do not even miss. What do you need that later liberty for? If you meant to esteem yourself as nothing before you had become a human being, you would have to wait till the last judgment till the day when man or humanity shall have attained perfection but as you will surely die before that what becomes of your prize of victory rather therefore invert the case and say to yourself i am a human being i do not need to begin by producing the human being in myself for he belongs to me already, like all my qualities. But, asked the critic, how can one be a Jew and a man at once? In the first place, I answer, one cannot be either a Jew or a man at all, if one and Jew or man are meant to the same thing. One always reaches beyond those specifications, and let Isaacs be ever so Jewish, a Jew, Nothing but a Jew he cannot be, just because he is this Jew. In the second place, as a Jew, one assuredly cannot be a man, if being a man means being nothing special. But in the third place, and this is the point, I can, as a Jew, be entirely what I can be. From Samuel or Moses and others, you hardly expect that they should have raised themselves above Judaism, although you must say that they were not yet men. They simply were what they could be. Is it otherwise with the Jews of today? Because you have discovered the idea of humanity, does it follow from this that every Jew can become a convert to it? If he can, he does not fail to, and if he fails to, he cannot. What does your demand concern him? What the call to be a man which you address to him? As a universal principle, in the human society which the humane liberal promises, nothing special which one or another has is to find recognition, 
nothing which bears the character of private is to have value. In this way, the circle of liberalism, which has its good principle in man and human liberty, its bad in the egoist and everything private, its god in the former, its devil in the latter, rounds itself off completely. And if the special or private person lost his value in the state, no personal prerogative, if in the laborers or ragamuffin society, special private property is no longer recognized, so in human society, everything special or private will be left out of account, and when pure criticism shall have accomplished its arduous task, then it will be known just what we must look upon as private, and what, penetrated with a sense of our nothingness, we must let stand. Because state and society do not suffice for humane liberalism, it negates both, and at the same time retains them. So at one time the cry is that the task of the day is not a political, but a social one. And then again, the free state is promised for the future. In truth, human society is both the most general state and the most general society. Only against the limited state is it asserted that it makes too much stir about spiritual private interests, e.g. people's religious belief, and against limited society that it makes too much of material private interests. Both are to leave private interests to private people, and, as human society, concern themselves solely about general human interests. The politicians thinking to abolish personal will, self-will, or arbitrariness, did not observe that through property our self-will gained a secure place of refuge. The socialists, taking away property too, do not notice that this secures itself a continued existence in self-ownership. Is it only money and goods, then, that are a property? Or is every opinion something of mine, something of my own? So every opinion must be abolished or made impersonal. The person is entitled to no opinion, but as self-will was transferred to the state, property to society, so opinion, too, must be transferred to something general, man, and thereby become a general human opinion. If opinion persists, then I have my God. Why, God exists only as my God. He is an opinion, or my faith, and consequently my faith, my religion, my thoughts, my ideals. Therefore, a general human faith must come into existence, the fanaticism of liberty, for this would be a faith that agreed with the essence of man, and because only man is reasonable, you and I might be very unreasonable. A reasonable faith. As self-will and property become powerless, so must self-ownership or egoism in general. In this supreme development of free man egoism, self-ownership is combated on principle, 
and such subordinate ends as the social welfare of the socialists, etc., vanish before the lofty idea of humanity. Everything that is not a general human entity is something separate, satisfies only some or one, or, if it satisfies all, it does this to them only as individuals, not as men, and is therefore called egoistic. To the socialist, welfare is still the supreme aim, as free rivalry was the approved thing to the political liberals. Now welfare is free too, and we are free to achieve welfare, just as he who wanted to enter into rivalry, competition, was free to do so. But to take part in the rivalry, you need only to be commoners. To take part in the welfare, only to be laborers. Neither reaches the point of being synonymous with man. It is truly well with man only when he is also intellectually free. For man is mind. Therefore, all powers that are alien to him, the mind, all superhuman, heavenly, unhuman powers must be overthrown and the name man must be above every name. So in this end of the modern age, age of the moderns, there returns again as the main point, what had been the main point at its beginning, intellectual liberty. To the communist in particular, the humane liberal says, if society prescribes to you your activity, then this is indeed free from the influence of the individual, i.e. the egoist. But it still does not on that account need to be a purely human activity, nor you to be a complete organ of humanity. What kind of activity society demands of you remains accidental, you know. It might give you a place in building a temple or something of that sort, or even if not that, you might yet on your own impulse be active for something foolish, therefore unhuman. Yes, more yet, you really labor only to nourish yourself in general to live for dear life's sake, not for the glorification of humanity. Consequently, free activity is not attained till you make yourself free from all stupidities, from everything non-human, i.e. egoistic, pertaining only to the individual, not to the man in the individual. Dissipate all untrue thoughts that obscure man or the idea of humanity. In short, when you are not merely unhampered in your activity, but the substance, too, of your activity is only what is human, and you live and work only for humanity. But this is not the case so long as the aim of your effort is only your welfare and that of all. What you do for the society of ragamuffins is not yet anything done for human society. Laboring does not alone make you a man, because it is something formal, and its object accidental. The question is who you that labor are. As far as laboring goes, you might do it from an egoistic, material impulse, 
merely to procure nourishment and the like. It must be a labor furthering humanity, calculated for the good of humanity, serving historical, i.e. human, evolution. In short, a human labor. This implies two things. One, that it be useful to humanity. Next, that it be the work of a man. The first alone may be the case with every labor, as even the labors of nature, e.g. of animals, are utilized by humanity for the furthering of science, etc. The second requires that he who labors should know the human object of his labor, and as he can have this consciousness only when he knows himself as man, the crucial condition is self-consciousness. Unquestionably much is already attained when you cease to be a fragment laborer, yet therewith you only get a view of the whole of your labor and acquire a consciousness about it, which is still far removed from a self-consciousness, a consciousness about your true self or essence, man. The laborer has still remaining the desire for a higher consciousness, which because the activity of labor is unable to quiet it, he satisfies in a leisure hour. Hence, leisure stands by the side of his labor, and he sees himself compelled to proclaim labor and idling human in one breath. Yes, to attribute the true elevation to the idler, the leisure enjoyer. He labors only to get rid of labor. He wants to make labor free, only that he may be free from labor. In fine, his work has no satisfying substance, because it is only imposed by society, only a stint, a task, a calling, and conversely, his society does not satisfy, because it only gives work. His labor ought to satisfy him as a man. Instead of that, it satisfies society. Society ought to treat him as a man, and it treats him as a ragtag laborer or a laboring ragamuffin. Labor and society are of use to him not as he needs them as a man, but only as he needs them as an egoist. Such is the attitude of criticism toward labor. It points to mind wages the war, of mind with the masses and pronounces communistic labor unintellectual mass labor. Averse to labor as they are, the masses love to make labor easy for themselves. In literature, which is today furnished in mass, this aversion to labor begets the universally known superficiality, which puts from it the toil of research. Therefore, humane liberalism says, You want labor? All right. We want it likewise, but we want it in the fullest measure. We want it not that we may gain spare time, but that we may find all satisfaction in it in self. We want labor because it is our self-development. But then the labor too must be adapted to that end. Man is honored only by human self-conscious labor, only by the labor that has for its end no egoistic purpose. But man and is man's self-revelation, so that the saying should be, 
Laboro ergo sum. I labor, therefore I am a man. The humane liberal wants that labor of the mind which works up all material. He wants the mind that leaves no thing quiet or in its existing condition, that acquiesces in nothing, analyzes everything, criticizes anew every result that has been gained. This restless mind is the true laborer. It obliterates prejudices, shatters limits and narrownesses, and raises man above everything that would like to dominate over him, while the communist labors only for himself, and not even freely, but from necessity. In short, represents a man condemned to hard labor. The laborer of such a type is not egoistic, because he does not labor for individuals, neither for himself nor for other individuals, not for private men, therefore, but for humanity and its progress. He does not ease individual pains, does not care for individual wants, but removes limits within each humanity is pressed, dispels prejudices which dominate an entire time, vanquishes hindrances that obstruct the path of all, clears away errors in which men entangle themselves, discovers truths which are found through him for all and for all time. In short, he lives and labors for humanity. End of section three, part one. Recorded by Eris Allen.